He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I want to be close to him, don't you? All you have to do is lift him up. Worship him, and he comes nigh. I am so happy to be back in Salem. Very few places do I come in early and leave late and stay a week. And I've been around here since Monday. And uh, I just enjoy it so very much. In 2002, I met a man in Connecticut at a camp meeting. He was the camp evangelist. And I was working with the children in that same camp. And in the nighttime, even in Connecticut, it got very, very hot in the summer. That was an especially hot summer for them. And uh, the camp evangelist was the only one with an air conditioner. So in the middle of the night, I'm sitting outside on the step because it is so hot. No fan, no air conditioner, little bitty room, can't sleep. The next day, we decided to take a fishing trip, and it was a charter, a deep sea. And so we knew there were extra places on that boat, and we invited my new friend, Calvin Jean, to go with us, not knowing what an avid fisherman he already was. However, and this is my version of the story, on that boat out in the depths of the ocean, a lot was happening and flounder was coming in one after the other. If you've never fished for flounder, it's, it's quite a little fighting fish because it's flat. But Brother Gene had not yet caught anything. And I laid my hand upon his fishing pole. I'm so glad I have the microphone. And I anointed it. I mean, I said, in Jesus' name, give my new friend fish. And from that moment on, he brought in one. He has the pictures in his desk. You, you need to, to ask him to pull out those pictures. Of course, we both look a lot younger. <laughs> and that formed a fast friendship on a fishing boat. But it was more than that. It was a God thing because Calvin and Cheryl Jean have been true friends to me. Through the fire, through the flood, through a lot of things in life. And, and uh, it's a place that I am not insecure in delivering the word of the Lord. And I'll tell you why. Because in my position, when I step into this man's pulpit, I'm stepping into his anointing. So it is not a place that I have to think it's going to be hard here because this man walks with God. He is one of the greatest preachers in the United Pentecostal Church. A personal favorite of mine. You are blessed here in Salem. That was worth every penny of the $100 bill he's promised to give me. I'm just kidding. I love you all very much. Thank you for your kindness to me while I am here in Salem. All the dinners and the cups of coffee. And, and Dad and D. Ellen are here today. They take me out on the boat when I come around. They, they wouldn't want me to mention them. That's just the kind of people they are. But I love them. And I, I got to stay in a condominium in Florida. And I just chase them around because they do fun stuff. And, and I love them. And thank you for coming today. What a great surprise. You turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. And as we read verses 1 through 12 today, and then you'll be able to be seated and rest, I just want to tell you what this psalm is about it's Pentecost Sunday you want to connect with the Lord today I, I do why come to church and not connect with him the best way to connect is to go back to good old fashioned repentance David had sinned against his God we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God but the good thing is David recognized it. A lot of people don't recognize when they sin. But David recognized it. He wanted to make things right. And so this was his prayer of repentance. You ever want to know what true repentance looks like? Just go to this psalm. He said, have mercy 
upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine, all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. We're going to stop there, finish it later, because it's so good. But just drawing your attention back to verse 12 and that very first word. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You have no joy when you are separated from Jesus. Sin separates us from him. You might have happiness. There might be times of fun. You might enjoy some things. But that's not joy. That's just fleeting happiness. But real joy comes on the inside and never leaves no matter what you're going through when you have relationship with him when there is no sin separating you from him today for your hearing the Lord has given me a message entitled something better turn to your neighbor and say something better I want something better and you may be seated Something better. Now, you know, I've been around here for a long time, once a year, Pentecost Sunday. Matter of fact, Brother Gene said, I could come here unless I started worshiping Buddha. That's the criteria. I mean, that means I could really mess up today, and, and it could just end up a mess, and he'd just wag his head and say, she laid an egg, but she's not worshiping Buddha. So she, she gets to come back. <laughs> You know, I like to have fun. I'm a storyteller. Church ought to be fun. So would you please notify your face that you're happy to be here? It's kind of, it looks kind of scary out there. Makes me nervous when you look like you're at the funeral home. Because when you're at a funeral home, the person up here is, you know, that's not the desire right now. I, I, not yet. Okay, so just, just be, be happy you're here. And, and help me today, will you? Help me. Something better. I talked about that word restoration. I think it's important to decipher, to analyze a little the scripture, to know what it means. I was intrigued by that word and so I began to do a little research. Restoration is the act of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Pretty simple. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that restorations become a fad. All over the world, people are taking old things and reusing them. Things that we used to throw away, we took it to the brush pile. People are reusing them. If you don't think that's true, you can turn to the media and there are over 300 television programs on restoration. Flip This House, Property Brothers, Kitchen Crashers, Million Dollar Listing, Flea Market Fines, to name a few. It's become popular. Now, I moved to Wisconsin three years ago, and I live in a little tiny town called Evansville. We don't even have a Walmart. On my way to the airport and to church, I pass several dairy farms, a sheep farm, a yak farm, an emu farm, a goat farm, 
I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I'm telling you. And being a city girl, I was raised in Columbus, Ohio. There's over two and a half million people there. I've never had this experience. I'm really loving it. And when I was decorating my place, I, that kind of got on me, that whole farm thing. And, and, and so I did my, my dining room in this. So I was doing a little Pinterest thing, ladies, where you pin a bunch of stuff and you never do it. That's what that's all about. But I, I saw some ideas, and I saw where they took an old screen, and they put some little tiny clothespins and lights across it, and they did pictures. I have nine grandchildren. I thought, I could hang all my grandchildren's pictures in my dining room and, and, and do that, you know, that farm look. So I was on the lookout for a screen. And I started going to flea markets and thrift stores and all that. I found it. I found it at a yard sale on the ground, under a table. I mean, just just thrown I pulled it out it had like six kinds of of paint on it all peeling perfect that's just exactly what you want perfect the screen was intact there was even a little bird doo-doo on it I mean you, you don't get more authentic than that exactly what I was looking for I'm thinking you know maybe two three three bucks I pulled that out oh it's got a price tag on it forty dollars so don't throw that stuff away because people are willing to pay for something that's in style. This is what's going on in our... you got a barn full of that stuff. I'm going to come help you sell some of that stuff in that barn. you got a gold mine. Because people don't throw stuff away. It's called restoration. Take it. Put, that, put new knobs on that dresser and use it in the bedroom. It doesn't matter how many kinds of paint it has peeling on it. It's in style. So with restoration being in style, I wonder today if we could take a look at what that really means when we're talking about the scripture. Now the definition, let me give you a sentence because this helped me. The sentence would be, a man was very ill. He went to the doctor. The doctor treated him and he was restored to health. So that means he was healthy, he got sick, he took treatment, now he's back to the same state he was in before. He's healthy. Well, that sounds great. That's what Jesus does. No, because what Jesus does cannot be compared to what man does or what this world has to offer. Restoration means when he gets done with you, with your life, with your health, with your finances, with your family, whatever, it's going to be better. You can't compare what this world has to offer with what God does. It's always something better. It may look really bad right now in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm. But I'll tell you on the other side of it, he had a plan all along. And it's going to be better. It's going to be better. I started thinking about that and how many times through the last 28 years of full-time ministry I have watched people that came to God and their lives were a mess. And when God got done with them, it wasn't just back to what they wanted or thought it would be. It was better. A few months ago I was walking the aisle and I can't like, you see I'm a tennis match. I can't stand still. I know that's what that's for, but I just can't. I was walking the aisles, and, and I'm in the middle of a sentence. I mean, the tears are rolling down my cheeks. I, I'm feeling Jesus, and I'm in the middle of a sentence. And all of a sudden, I mean, before I could catch it, before I could think about it, I wheeled around to a lady that was sitting there, and I said, in the name of Jesus, the blood clots in your lungs are healed right now in Jesus' name. And when you go to the doctor, it will be as if they were never there. As soon as I did it, of course... That old enemy said, well, what if? What if it don't happen? What if you just said that? You know how scary that is? You just want Jesus to come and take you away right now, just in case. 
But the beauty of the anointing is you just plow right on through. And what happens, you just even forget you did that. When the anointing's on you, thank God you go home forget all that stuff you did. <laughs> and, and I completely forgot that I even did that. The, the, the devil couldn't torment me with it because it's gone under the, under the flood of the anointing. And, and I got home and on Tuesday I got a call from the pastor. He said, Sister Oliver, that lady that, that you, you spoke into her life about her the blood clots in her lungs, you didn't know. She had been in the hospital all week and, and her lungs were filled with blood clots. They didn't want to let her out. She said, no, I'm going to church. And, they, and she had to, to beg them, but they let her out. And let me tell you, I was at the hospital today. And when the doctor came in, he said, we don't understand it. When people have blood clots and they dissolve, there's always scarring. But ma'am, it is as if you never had blood clots. We don't understand it. In Jesus' name, I'm talking about something better. Why wouldn't you want to serve him when you can trust him for something better? When they came out of that upper room on the day of Pentecost, they had a better life. Something better. Hallelujah. I've seen a little boy that was not born with the apparatus to hear at all in one ear. The other ear, a great big hearing aid. He was scheduled for surgery for implants. And I watched that little boy on the front row at a children's revival come forward for prayer. And little children got around him. Kids have faith. You tell kids Jesus so heal and they believe. There was a little boy, his name was Reuben. And Reuben came up to his little friend, little red-headed guy with these big hearing aids. He's eight years old. And he put his hands over, over his friend's ears. And I heard that little boy, Reuben. He said, ears open in Jesus' name. Ears here in Jesus' name. And all the children just praying. And, and, and so they, finally they went back to their seats. The music was playing. And the little boy with the hearing aids, he jerked those off. He walked up to the front. And he said, here, Miss Oliver, it's way too loud in here. I don't need these. Plopped him in my hand. From that day to this, that little boy can hear. He's a grown man now. He never had to have surgery. Why? Because God's got something better. He put in there what wasn't even in there. He wasn't born to hear. He didn't have the eardrum. He didn't have the ear canal. God didn't just heal him. He gave him something better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you. A story to further emphasize something better. Now I've told you before, I was born into a family with two girls, six and twelve. My parents were, I've told you this many times, that there's some new people here today. My, my parents were 40 and 48, almost 49 when I was born. They didn't want more kids. They said there won't be any more. They shook hands with my sister and said, there will be no more. You're the caboose. Don't do that to your kids. You set them up for hatred. No, they didn't, they didn't want any more. And, and surprise, my sisters were quiet and sweet little princesses. And then there was me. I was born with attention deficit disorder before they knew what it was. They didn't have pills. My parents didn't know what in the world was wrong with this child. Can't sit still. And they didn't feel like chasing me. They didn't feel like it. And, and, and worse yet, they just couldn't find enough to keep me busy. I was just so busy. And I was always taking things apart. You remember those old Fisher-Price hard wooden little, supposed to be like a baby television set where they turn the knob and the story goes around and plays music. You remember how heavy duty those were? They, they took them off the market because kids were whacking each other in the head with them, having concussions. I, I had one of those heavy, heavy duty ones. Mine played Mary had a little lamb. And Mary spun by with the lambs following behind her. And all I wanted was to get the lambs out of there. I got a huge screwdriver, pliers, the appropriate tools out of the garage, snuck them into the bed. When mom came in, I had that thing all apart, laying in pieces all over the bed. I was so sad when I found out those lambs were just a piece of paper. Destructive. So I was taking stuff apart. I mean, we had many conversations about this. And, and, and I'm just a little kid. I'm just a little girl. I had lots of dreams and things I wanted to do. I was always having clubs in the backyard. And, and, and I was always getting in trouble for selling stuff. For, you know, taking stuff out of the house and selling it to other people. 
yeah, I mean, I just, busy. I, they couldn't keep up with me. And, and, and so I announced, I've got a great idea. I've got a dream. When I grow up, I'm going to be a world-renowned ventriloquist. I had just seen a ventriloquist for the first time on television. He had a dummy, a puppet, and his name was Howdy Doody. I got a picture of Howdy Doody they're going to put up here in case some of you have never seen Howdy Doody. He's a creepy little thing. Howdy Doody was popular and this man, it intrigued me because this man could smile and throw his voice. That's what a ventriloquist does. And throw his voice and adults would be sucked in. They'd be watching that dummy and they'd think, man, that thing really talks. It, it was just amazing. And I had seen him for the first time. And, and I declared this. I am going to be as good as that man. I need a howdy duty doll because I'm going to do that. I'm going to be on Hee Haw. That was my live stream to be on Hee Haw. The Grand old Opry. My dad, man, he was all for that, but he, he, he wasn't about spending over $100 on Howdy Doody. So that's not happening. We're not buying a Howdy Doody. So you can erase that dream off the, off the list because we're not buying a Howdy Doody doll. My dreams and hopes were crushed until the next idea came along. Christmas was coming. Every year at Christmas, we got to pick out the doll that we wanted. I had her all picked out. This doll was very unique. This doll was a grandma doll. Because I was born late in life, you know, I didn't have grandparents around. I don't know how to do this grandma thing. I'm, I mean, I use that as an excuse. I have nine grandchildren. And when my daughters say, you can't, just, you can't just give them that, Mom. You can't feed them that. I'm like, oh, no, never had a grandma. <laughs> if you want to put my doll back up there, please. Her name was Mrs. Beasley. Mrs. Beasley was a grandma doll. And the little girl that had Mrs. Beasley for her doll was, was Buffy. Some of you are nodding your head because you remember that doll. I was six years old. And I declared to the family, I, I will never ask for another thing again as long as I live. If I get her for Christmas. I, I, I want Mrs. Beasley. Mrs. Beasley had a string. And when you pulled that string, she talked. She always said nice stuff. Would you like to wear my glasses? Would you like me to read you a story? Would you like me to rock you to sleep? Nobody ever talked to me nice when I was a kid. I think that's why I wanted Mrs. Beasley. <laughs> she said nine different things, I think it was. Maybe seven different things. You pulled her string and she just said something nice to you. She didn't say stop that, quit that, get out of my hair, go play, clean that up. She said, nice stuff. I was begging. Every time we went to the store, I picked her, uh, her box up and ran to mom and dad. This is what I want. I want this. I want this for Christmas. This is the doll I want. Dad always aimed to please. He worked two jobs. But we always were surprised and delighted at Christmas. Christmas came and sure enough, there was Mrs. Beasley. In all her glory. I jerked her out of that box and squeezed her tight and started pulling that string. I was so excited. I got just what I asked for and she's going to be my best friend. She's going to treat me nice. She laid in the center of my bed. I took her everywhere I went for about three days. You know the drill. Daddy was going back to work and school was going to start pretty soon. And back to the same old life of trying to find things to do before dad went back to work we had a little talk we had a lot of those little talks dad said now listen here you are six years old and it is time for you to learn to take care of things I don't want you to cut all of Mrs. Beasley's hair off I don't want you to take her outside and pull her in the wagon and play with her in the mud. She's an inside doll. I don't want you to take markers and crayons and color all over her face. All of these things had happened before. 
I want you to learn to take care of things. Do you understand me? He said, things cost money. You have to work hard to buy things. And I want you to learn to take care of things. And it starts right now with this toy, with this doll. Do you understand? Yes, Daddy, I understand. I, I, won't, I won't do anything to Mrs. Beasley. I'll take good care of her. Yes, Jesus, when I gave you my heart, I understood that it cost you everything on the rugged cross. And I won't take my heart back out into the world and tear it up and sin and do things that I used to do. I'll take care of it. Yes, Daddy. They came out of that upper room. They realized something beautiful, wonderful, life-changing. Something better just happened to me. But everybody has a choice to decide. I want the joy of the Lord. I want restoration. I want to walk with God. I'm not going back out into the world and, and fill my heart up with the things in this world. A choice. Dad was at work. My sisters were at my aunt's house. I was home with my mama. Mama was in the kitchen. And I got an idea I got Mrs. Beasley I laid her on the end of my bed and I slipped into the kitchen I opened up the drawer with the steak knives I got the sharpest one I could find and stuck it in my jean skirt pocket I opened up the drawer where the scissors were that I was not allowed to use and I put them in my other pocket and I slipped down that hallway into my room because I had an idea. I laid Mrs. Beasley over on her face on the gurney. Because now I'm going to be a surgeon. A world famous surgeon. I poised that sharp steak knife above her head. And I came down on the back of her head. I made a big hole. I took those scissors and I cut both hands, that thick rubber head, and I cut a square, a perfect square. And I laid that hairy square over on the gurney. I rolled her over on her back, and I poised that knife above her mouth, right in the corner. And I came down with one big stab in the corner of her mouth. And I pulled that knife thinking I would stop at the other corner. And I slit her all the way to her ear. Oops. I picked Mrs. Beasley up and I set her up on my arm. And I put my hand in that hole in the back of her head. Down into her rubber lips. <laughs> that really would not move. <laughs> and I said in the mirror, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Who needs howdy-doody when you have Mrs. Beasley? I was going to be a world-renowned ventriloquist. I was going to be on hee-haw after all. I practiced all day long my show. I stood in the mirror and I had a show all ready for mom and daddy that night. It was going to astound them. I couldn't wait for dinner to be over. Mama cleaned up the kitchen. Daddy was in the recliner reading the paper. Mama came in and got in her chair with her, 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 her uh, crocheting. She was crocheting doilies. The lights were just kind of low and... My sisters were off doing their thing and I walked in and dad was snoozing with the paper on his chest and mom's head was down. It was like living in a nursing home. <laughs> I, wa I walked in I said, I got, I got a show, mom and dad. I got a show for you. Oh, they came alive. You know, I was a baby. They just smiled from ear to ear. My sisters got so sick of me entertaining. I got a show for you, mom and dad. And they're just smiling. And I pull Mrs. Beasley out and set her up on my arm. And I say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Kerwam with the recliner. Dad sat straight up and it was not a look of joy. 
Mama grabbed her doily that she was crocheting and she buried her face in her doily and she was sobbing. And I realized it probably wasn't the best thing to do. My dad said, what have you done? We just had this conversation that it cost a lot. That I don't want you to destroy what I've given you. That you need to learn to take care of it. And you promised. You came to the altar and said, I promise, Jesus, I'll live for you. Jesus, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. I won't go back on you, God. But yet we'll go right back out and destroy what he gave us, what cost him his life on the cross. I wanted, I wanted my hand in her head. I wanted to be able to make her talk. Some of you need to learn that the devil wants his hand in your head. He wants you to think like he thinks. He wants to make you something you were never designed to be. My dad, after saying a few words to me about it and reminding me, I, I, I remember, see there's a difference. Usually when I got in trouble, I'd start right away saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please, please don't spank me. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't do it anymore because I was trying to get out of trouble. That's usually what happened. And a lot of folks come to the altar and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Please forgive me, please forgive me, I don't, I don't do it anymore. That's not real repentance. We read what repentance looks like. It's a life change. A lot of people don't want the Holy Ghost because they don't want restoration. They don't want to be restored back to God. They don't want to live for Him. But I saw that look in my daddy's eyes. I saw that hurt. I realized for the first time in my life, I hurt my daddy. I disobeyed. It's not about me just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to get out of trouble. I said, Daddy, Daddy, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm really sorry, Daddy. I was weeping. I remember feeling it in here. I, I, was, I was weeping. I didn't care what he did to me at that point because I knew I was wrong. Dad said, give me the doll. He grabbed Mrs. Beasley out of my arms. He went out the back door. I heard the back door slam. I heard the, the lid of that old metal trash can. Bam! He took her and he threw her away. He took my doll. Because there's consequences. Take a good look at where you are in life. There have been things that Vicki Oliver had to look in the mirror and say, You know, girl, you want to cry and beg God to fix this, but you caused it yourself. By your bad choices. By things you decided to do without praying first. You caused some of this junk yourself. And I've had to go to my God and say, Lord, I'm not going to ask you to fix this. Bring on whatever I need to fix me. Because I want to be right. I want to be ready for heaven. Daddy said, go to your room. I don't want to hear nothing from you the rest of the night. Go get your jammies on. Get in bed. Don't come out of that room. Yes, Daddy. I was just six years old. And I realized what I had done. I went and crawled into bed and I began to cry. And I began to pray. I was old enough to pray. Six years old. You're old enough to know right from wrong. I was praying. I was asking Jesus to forgive me. As I was dozing off to sleep, trying to. The old devil began to war with my mind because that's what he does. I had a memory come to me. See, my, my sister, one of my sisters really didn't want me. She really, she really didn't. So she started telling me as soon as I was old enough to talk and hear. You know, mom and dad found you on that big log in the backyard. Somebody left you there when you was a little baby. And they, they, did, they didn't want you, but they just felt sorry for you. 
That's why you don't really fit in with our family. Because they didn't go to the hospital and get you like they got me and Cheryl. They, they found you on that log. And one of these days, you're going to cross the line. And they're going to take you to the orphanage and drop you off. And while I was laying in that bed that night, that's what came to me. This is it. I've crossed the line. Tomorrow, they're going to take me to the orphanage. I was weeping and crying into my pillow. I thought, I, I've done too much now. They, they won't keep me. I want to tell somebody today, as, as funny as that sounds, it wasn't funny to a little six-year-old girl. And it's not funny to folks that are sitting in the seats thinking, I'm an orphan. I'll never belong here. I've done too much. I've messed up too many times. I, I've sinned too, too bad. God doesn't really want me. I'm telling you it's a lie. Just like it was a lie that day for a little girl. God wants you. You can't do enough that would cause him to say, I don't want you. He loves you. He's reaching for you. There are no orphans in God's house. Hallelujah. If it were so, none of us would be here. That unconditional love, you don't find that anywhere else nowhere else that's why it's so hard to understand because there are people that say I love you and then they they really don't it proves out they really didn't or they fell out of love they, they decided they could find something better or, or they, they took an addiction instead of you or, 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 or something else came in the way but not with Jesus you can't make him stop loving you he died for you I got up the next morning. I, and I'll tell you what. Why don't you come to the keyboard? Don't anybody else come. But just come to the keyboard and give them hope. I got up the next morning. And of course, it was the first thing on my mind. See, when you're not living for God, that's the first thing on your mind when you wake up. Am I ready for heaven? What, what if what this church preaches is true? What if this is all truth? And am I ready? You don't have joy when you're not sure if you're ready. I woke up and pulled on my clothes and I walked down that long hallway to the kitchen. Today's probably the day they're going to take me to the orphanage. I walked in the kitchen. Mama had her back to me. She's standing at the stove. She's frying eggs, fixing breakfast. I walked in with my head down. She said, good morning, baby. How do you want your eggs today? Scrambled with cheese? Yeah, mama, that'd be great. I looked real quick to daddy, sitting at the end of that table. Come on over here and sit by daddy. You know what you are, don't you? You're my sunshine. My only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine. I saw that morning a real picture of restoration. They never mentioned it. From that day to this, Sister Jane, it was never mentioned again. It wasn't a funny story they told at family reunions. They didn't say, remember when she cut up her Miss Beasley doll? <laughs> no, it was never mentioned again. Why? Because God knew <laughs> a little chubby, freckle-faced girl would grow up. And someday I'd be standing right here in Salem, Illinois, telling this story to somebody that really needs to hear it. He's a God of restoration. Don't make it hard. All he wants you to do is come. And lift your hands and let him touch you. Let him give you more. Let him give you something better. Don't make it difficult. I slid into my place at the table. Feeling so secure. 
I've never been more secure in my life than I am standing here right now, knowing that he is mine and I am his. We ate breakfast and life went right on. I've shown you what being restored looks like. You come to an old-fashioned altar and you bring your heart. Oh, Sister Oliver, you're bringing those hearts out again. Uh-huh. I'll probably have them in the nursing home someday. They're not there. I'll probably be crying for them. I've used these in five foreign countries across 48 states. I've had hundreds of sets of these. Why? My garage is full of spray-painted hearts right now as we speak because I don't want to have one set damaged and not have another one ready. Why? Because it's so easy to understand that all you have to do is come and say, Jesus, here's my heart. Pray that prayer of Psalm 51. I'm a sinner. I want to be restored back to you, Lord. I'm sorry for my sins. The minute you ask him, you'll find out he's not like everybody else. Oh, you look in my heart. I look in yours. We're hard on each other. You mean you did all that? Wow, I never did anything that bad. It's not how he is. He doesn't even look in there. He's sitting at the end of the table singing, You are my sunshine. (laughs) My only sunshine. (laughs) I'm just waiting for you to come sit down beside me, baby. All you have to do is ask with one sweep of his hand. He cleans all of that out. And leaves a clean, empty heart. Sin makes a mess. There's a mess on the floor. But you let pastor take you to the water and put you down in the name of Jesus. The only way anyone was ever baptized in the Bible. In the name of Jesus. And all of that is forgotten and washed away. And the Bible says he takes away this whole stony heart. He puts it in his collection of hearts. He collects dirty ones, battered ones, broken ones, addicted ones, shattered ones. And he gives you a brand new heart. And right while you're standing there thanking him for cleaning out your heart, for loving you, all of a sudden, suddenly, he'll fill the house where we're sitting. And he moves in. And you know he's in there because he fills you all the way up to not just here, but here. And when the Holy Ghost gets right here, your lip and tongue might wiggle, it might not. But there'll be words come to your mind that you've never said before. And you speak them right out of your mouth. And you can't say them wrong. You can't do it wrong. And you just move your mouth and let those strange sounds out of your mouth. I just told you how to be restored. Nothing separating you from him. This is what's going to take us up when he comes. He's getting ready to come. We can't fly. The Holy Ghost is what's going to take you up. Going to take me up. We're going to meet him in the sky. I've made it as simple as possible today. On Pentecost Sunday. I preached this message in a little town in Wisconsin. And a few days after I came home, several people had been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost on that Sunday. I think there were seven baptized in Jesus' name. A young lady in the church called me and she said, Sister Vicki, I called my pastor and I asked him if it's okay If we could have you come over our house for dinner. And he said it would be fine. We put a date on the calendar on a Thursday night. They lived about an hour or so from me. And a few weeks later I came to their beautiful little humble home. And we had a wonderful time. The family of God is just the best. 
we fellowshiped. And in a little while, I noticed some, some body language going on. I mean, he was nodding at her, and she was nodding at him. You know, when people start doing that, they think nobody can see. I, I was wondering, you know, was it something wrong? I got ketchup on my face or, you know, because I saw him interchanging. And he got up and left the room. So I'm kind of just watching all of this happen. And he comes back in the room and he says, my wife and I wanted to buy you something and have you over. And he said, I started praying. And he said, I'm, I'm new. Now, this, this man was a new convert. He, he, he had been a, addicted to drugs and alcohol. He'd been a fighter. He had a finger cut off. He's covered with tattoos, just like God loves him. I mean, I mean, this man had decided I'm selling out. He, he's in Bible college. He, he, just, he just sold out. He's restored. He says, Sister Oliver, I'm kind of nervous. And his hand was kind of shaking a little. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nervous because this is the first time God ever spoke to me. And I know God told me to do something, so, so I, I did it. But I'm a little nervous because God told me to, to do this and to, and to give this to you. And I said, well, it, good, that's fine. Thank you. And, and he is a nervous wreck. And he handed me with, with, with shaking hands the gift. And, of course, you know, I'm all about presents. I love gifts. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love surprises. I love surprises. And he, he handed me that gift, and, and I, I hold it for me. And I, I began to open the gift. And I didn't know why he had, the, he had the camera going, the video going. When I took Mrs. Beasley out of the back... The Lord spoke to me. He said, now, you know what real restoration looks like. It had been 50 years since I'd held her in my arms. I was six, 50 years since daddy took her and put her in the trash can. And I didn't get back a Mrs. Beasley with a hole in her head. With a torn mouth. Oh, just make the best of it. She's damaged. Just, you know, love her like she is because she's, you know, you did it. You're just going to have to live that kind of life because that's what she chose. It'll never be any better because that's what you've chosen. Oh, no, friend. When God gets done with you, it's always something better. This is what real restoration looks like. Something new, something better. <laughs> Mrs. Beasley cost $30. When I was six. Thirty dollars. But this Mrs. Beasley. Cost that young man. Three hundred dollars. Because she's been restored. <laughs> Would you stand to your feet? He wants to give you something better. I want you to listen very carefully. There are people in this building that you have never given your life to the Lord. Some of you have never spoken in tongues. Maybe you haven't done it because you don't want to come up here. Listen, no one has to touch you. It's only going to take three to five minutes. Some of you haven't come because your mind tells you, I don't really need that. I'm telling you what scripture says. Unless you're born of water and spirit, you won't enter into heaven. This gift is what's going to take you up when he comes. Some of you haven't come because you feel unworthy. 
that wall's been torn down today. That wall no longer exists. Some of you don't want anybody to know you don't have it because you've been coming here a long time and, and, and you're in your same spot and you're faithful and you don't want anybody to see you walk up and say, well, I have to admit I've never really done that. That's not going to feel like a good excuse when the skies split open and Jesus comes. We love you. Jesus loves you. There's some of you that you had the Holy Ghost, but you're not sure about your experience. The devil has warred with your mind and said, you didn't really get it. That wasn't enough words. You've had a hard time living for God, so you didn't get it. Listen, there's no little Holy Ghost and big Holy Ghost. What you need to do, though, is come to the altar and pray through. And let the Spirit flow again. Seal it in your heart so that you know. So I'm going to ask you, if you fall into any of those categories today and you're ready to be filled or refilled, I want you to step out of your seat and come line up right up here. It's going to be, it's going to happen so quickly, just like that. So easy. Don't make me come get you. You got somebody standing next to you, offer to walk with them. Thank you, a little child shall lead them. Somebody else, there's somebody back here. I am going to come get you if you don't come because I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Come on, come on. I see, I'm eyeballing you. Come on. This is Charlotte, you're scary. Nah, I'm harmless. I just love you. I don't want you to miss out. You knew I was coming to get you, didn't you? Today's your day. Listen, you've felt him, but you've not been restored. Today's the day for restoration. It's getting ready to happen. Isn't that exciting? Church, isn't that exciting? Oh, we got a big hole right here. That means there's some folks back here. Come on. There's several older people in this building that you're not sure you ever received the Holy Ghost. You had not talked in tongues since you got it. It's Pentecost Sunday. We're all going to talk in tongues. I come every year and I beg the same people to come. I see you back there. But the reality is, no one can make anyone else. You have to want it. Now all over this building, would you close your eyes? Shut out everybody around you. Would you raise your face because the devil wants you to hang your head in shame? Lift your face to your creator. He loves you. And lift your hands and surrender. Here I am, Lord. I want to be restored. Here I am. And that last step, begin to repent of your sins. Begin to talk to him. Lord, I'm sorry if there's anything that would keep me from receiving your spirit right now. Lord, please forgive me. Please clean out my heart. Listen, you can do it in your seats back there. You didn't want to come, then do it in your seat. Come on, across this building. I don't want to be separated from you, God. I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to be ready when you come. Come on, cry out, church. I, I need some prayer warriors to begin to intercede right now. We need intercession going on in this building. Oh, the Holy Ghost is already moving. It's already moving. Once your heart is ready, He's ready to move in. In the name of Jesus, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. There it is.